All right, Patriots, hardliners, warriors for Christ, it's time to stand up and take your nation back. Are you ready? It's time to assemble. It's time to return God back at the top of the throne where he belongs and get Christ back in our heart where he belongs. They've crossed this line one too many times, and we are going to take this nation back once and for all. Isaiah 42:13 reminds us, the Lord goes forth like a warrior, like a man of war, he stirs up his fury. He shouts out his battle cry against his enemies, he shows his might, and that's what we will do here at His Heart Line. We will show his might. They have crossed this line for the last time. So let's take this nation back. Let's get started. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're at in the world. I am Jason, your co-host with God and Jesus Christ at my side. Why? Because they are the host. They're the reasons why I started this podcast. This was not my own doing. And they are the ones in charge. They are the boss. They are at the wheel and they are steering this ship through these crazy chaotic waters that we call life. So welcome. Glad to have you here at His Hardline. And like the Bible says, at least 365 times, fear not. And that's indeed what you should be following. Fear not. So anyways, it is Tuesday, October 11, 2022. I apologize for the latency. I've been having some connectivity issues. I was actually also having some issues uploading a couple media pieces. It just never fails. There's always something. I tell you, Podbean has been since, I should say, I shouldn't say since day one, but I would say about once I started getting some traction uh, by month three, I've just been getting nothing but stupid hiccups after stupid hiccups, and then the hiccups turn into earthquakes, and then, you know, it just, they ratcheted up, you know, their 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 attacks, you know? I mean, they, they messed with my website at first. They started messing with the Podbean, first off, and then it got to the point where they messed with my website, completely erased all my podcasts that I had uploaded on there. Um, that was an easy fix, but inconvenient. And then, um, you know, then it goes to them taking at least one podcast itself and deleted it off of Podbean, which was the contempt of constitution. And then it just continued to ratchet up. And then just not too long ago, when I had um, Donna Brandenburg on one Friday, we were talking about some pretty, some pretty, you know, serious topics. And also my computer started freezing up on me and it seized up. I mean, I had to text her. I said, I am completely froze up. I, I cannot hear you. My computer is seized up. Well, then th- like two days later on that Sunday on a podcast I was doing by myself, I was recapping what happened on Friday and was going over the exact sim, you know, same subject matter that we were talking about on Friday. And guess what? Not only did my computer get attacked and hacked and seized up, the thing completely shut down. It crashed and shut down. And I'd be, I'll be honest with you. I thought in that moment I had, I was out, you know, $1,200, $1,300. I thought I had to get a new Mac. But fortunately, that wasn't the case. So anyways, now fast forwarding to just recently, some a good friend of mine who happens to have a really good skill set in the cyber and computer space, we'll just keep it at that, has been, you know, basically helping protect here, uh, me. And, uh, well, my numbers have been been suppressed. 
And long story short, since Friday, it's not just me, but also the National Assembly and communications and stuff like that. Now, all of a sudden, we're getting emails flooded of, you know, a flood of emails. Like there's a lot of stuff that was being suppressed. And now, now that these individuals took a plunger, if you will, to the cyber drain, if you will, and plugged out the garbage and the crap that was plugging it up and not allowing free flow of water, aka information and communication. All of a sudden, my numbers went from like 100, 150 downloads a day to all of a sudden, like almost 600. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, anyway, excuse me. So, today, what we're going to be talking about in his hardline discussion is the Vatican equals satanic. And I'm probably maybe going to piss off, I'm sure, a few people that are Catholic. But you know what? Just as a prerequisite, just know I grew up Catholic. My wife grew up Catholic. We have Catholic families, Catholic backgrounds. But here's the thing. The difference between us and most Catholics is that we started waking up to the evil that's been taking place around the world. And ever since we got involved, I've got involved with the assembly, the Vatican, I tell you what, plays a very big role. And one of the biggest reasons why we are living under a tyrannical, evil, satanic beast system here in America, uh, which is basically D.C. and every state de facto government that, that, you know, runs basically our nation nationwide. And there is this thing called the Treaty of Verona, or the Treaty of 1213, as it's known. And it basically is the power of the Vatican in the three city-states. Now, back in the year 1066, of course, so irritated again, this happened to Scott. On Bards FM, his music started playing, which basically meant you can hold land freely without the obligation of service to any overlord to that land. Now, not even the king at that time could actually take the land without making a payment. Now, in 1066, William the Conqueror conquered England, and he took the title of king. And with that, he claimed possession of all the land in the name of the king, basically himself. And the people accepted that. The king owned all the lands and that they became his serfs. And, and this continued until King John came to the throne in 1199 after the death of his brother Richard. Now, meanwhile, back at the Vatican, the Pope, calling himself the Vicar of Christ, claimed all lands in the known world for the Vatican. And so the Vatican also considered their parishioners to be mere serfs. And so when they died, their property went to the church. That sounds fair. And so this created a conflict between the king and the church as to who possessed the lands. Now, 200 years later, King John owed money to the Vatican. Now, therefore, the Vatican claimed first title to all of England. Now, to try to prevent this, the king invoked the law of Mortmain, which is known as the... Uh, the dead man's hand. 
so people couldn't pass their land onto the church or anyone else without the king's permission. Now the Vatican replied in 1208 by placing the England by placing England under a papal blockade and the king was excommunicated. Now King John was humiliated and he actually suffered in trying to regain his stature and he groveled before the pope and he offered the kingdoms of England and Ireland to the pope and swore submission and loyalty to the Vatican. Well, that is what then became the Treaty of October 3rd, 1213, where King John surrendered his kingdoms to the Pope. And as the Vicar of Christ, and the Pope claimed, get this, ownership of everything, so all land, everything, and everyone on earth as was his belief. So he claimed all land and souls of the world. Now, where in the Bible did Jesus give any man this kind of power over all men in all land? He didn't. He did not create a religion, nor did he create the office of Pope. <sighs> Sorry, guys. I, I get very fumed about this, and I'm going to try to keep this very punctual. I'm going to try to keep this within an hour. But you know how I get sometimes. Sometimes it goes a little bit further. So anyway, so I'm not going to get into a huge history lesson here because i got some i got some i got some things you guys should actually hear rather than me babble um first thing i want to play here uh let me scroll down here so there is a video that a, a very avid listener i've actually had him on the show uh, his name is ron uh, i don't know if he wants me to say his last name i'll let him say it if when he comes back on he's a good listener he's also a good researcher he sent me this video about how the satanic order is derived from the Vatican. And I've already knew this before he sent me this video. Um, I've already been doing my own homework. In fact, even people in my own family who are avid Catholics have been Catholic their whole lives have even questioned, man, like what if we've been lied to about certain things and certain, you know, uh, traditions that we've always been doing in the church? What if they were teaching us the way um, that basically, in other words, making us do certain things unbeknownst to us that followed Satan. And then meanwhile, everybody was being deceived, thinking that everything that we're doing in the church mass is for Christ. And that's a very good question. How do you know? Well, anyways, <clears throat> there are people starting to wake up to it. My wife, like I said, my wife is an avid Catholic, went to Catholic school K through 12. I only went to it for three years. And for someone like her who has been around it, raised around it, went to school, I mean, it was basically her life, for her to start coming out and questioning, excuse me, boy, that sounded weird, questioning all that she's ever known takes great strength, courage, and faith because, and I'm not pushing her to do this. I had my own questions and I have my own beliefs and we have healthy debates and healthy disagreements, believe it or not which I've already expressed before. I'm not going to get into it again for the sake of time. But now she's using her own critical thinking skills and raising the same questions that I did three to four months ago. So let's listen to this first piece on Pope Francis in the Vatican. Listen to this. According to a November 3rd, 2014 article at Inquisitor.com, Pope Francis, the leader of the worldwide Roman Catholic Church, recently declared... 
speaking at the Pontifical Academy of Sciences, that fish-to-man evolution, Darwinian evolution, is not only an acceptable teaching, but he said that Darwinian evolution and the Big Bang do not conflict with the idea of God as creator of life and of the universe. And he also said that God basically could not have done it any other way because God simply isn't powerful enough. I'm going to pause there. Tell me, is that not blasphemy or what? That was actually a quote by the Pope. Listen to what the Pope said. Quote, when we read about creation in Genesis, we run the risk of imagining that God was a magician with a magic wand able to do everything. But that is not so. He created human beings and let them develop according to the internal laws that he gave to each one so they could reach their fulfillment. In other words, the Pope says it is not so that God is able to do everything. And so he had to use the mechanics of evolution. Of course, these statements are antithetical to the clear and literal interpretations of the word of God. Now, the Pope may not know the Word of God in context, and a viewer of this video might say, I don't believe the Bible to be true. Well, you and the Pope will ultimately have to take those things up with the Creator himself one day, but the fact remains, if one claims to speak for the biblical truth, it would be helpful to know what the Bible says. For example, in John chapter 1, the Bible declares that Jesus is the creator of the universe. In Colossians chapter 1, the Bible declares that Jesus is the creator of the universe. And in Jesus, all things in the universe hold together. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible declares that Jesus is the creator of the universe. And in Mark chapter 10, Jesus himself declares at the beginning of creation, God created them male and female. And then, of course, the Word of God, Genesis chapters 1 and chapter 2, the creation account, it leaves no room for fish-to-man evolution, declaring a literal six-day creation using the Hebrew word yom, which means a literal 24-hour period day in its context. Additionally, those two chapters describe each day as having an evening and a morning just in case we don't know the meaning of yom. And on top of this, those chapters describe creation events that depend upon one another immediately to survive, like sunlight and plants, which could not have been separated by millions of years. So I'm going to pause there because it's a longer, longer soundbite that I have here. Um, like I said, for the sake of time, I'm only going to play bits and pieces of these sound bites. But what I'm going to do, just as a little side note for you all, if you want to watch this whole video, I will post. In fact, I'll do this right now. I'm going to, po I'm going to post the link right now in the comment section, but I'll, I will also post this. It's a Rumble video. I will also post this in the show notes of the podcast so you can watch the whole video. It's very, very interesting and intriguing. In fact, my wife, who's not really a listener of podcasts, doesn't like watching long-winded videos. She actually watched this. And that's where some of her questions came because it's pretty undisputable. It's very, very indisputable. And yes, Rita, I will post it on Telegram. I won't do it on my desktop because I'm pretty sure that's how I, they accessed my computer was through Telegram. Um, so I will never use Telegram on my desktop again. <laughs> Every time I had Telegram up, my computer went to hell. Um, but yeah, so I will post it on Telegram. But yeah, so I, um, 
check that out. But like I said, I'm, I'm just going to go through a few pieces. But let's go back to what, what, what the Pope was saying. The Pope was basically saying that God is not powerful enough to, to basically create man in the seven days or the six days, because he rested on the seventh, right? Create the world and the sun and the stars and the water and the land, day, night, right? Man and woman in six days, because God is not powerful enough. Basically saying, the Pope, again, saying that he believes in Darwinian, you know, the Darwin theory, the Darwinian theory, the fish to man evolution. I mean, what the heck kind of crap is that? Again, blasphemy. Let's take a quick listen to this. Predictably, the Inquisitor article ends by stating, the evidence for the theory of evolution remains strong despite political opposition from those who refuse to acknowledge this basic scientific fact. This, of course, is an absolute falsehood. Fish-to-man evolution is not supported by a single solitary piece of scientific method evidence. Observed, demonstrated, repeatable, and falsifiable. It's not supported by this kind of evidence anywhere in the world or down through history, unless the evolutionist first inserts some sort of faith statement like we think or we suppose or it would seem that or billions of years ago, etc. You see, there simply is no scientific method evidence for deep time evolution. And this Darwinian fish to man evolution is far from scientific fact. It is nothing more than pseudoscience. So we have to ask, is the Pope really this biblically and scientifically ignorant? If he is, what does this say about the Catholic Church? Or is the Pope purposely throwing truth to the ground and causing a great deception to sweep the planet? Either way, it seems like we might be living in some very prophetic antichrist spirit times. What say you? Yeah, I would have to agree with that. I would absolutely have to agree with that. Now, I will say this. Now, my family members, particularly my wife's family, who, again, uh, every single one of them, first off, let me also say this. My wife's family, they're all good people. They're good men. They're good women, good Christians. They love Jesus. They love God. They do everything they can for others and for, you know, for, for the poor. Um, I can't say anything good about him, especially my wife's father's side. I mean, they're all, I swear, a bunch of living saints, her dad to her aunt. But the problem is some of them, not my father-in-law or my mother-in-law, but his siblings are kind of still a little sleepy to what's going on. And they don't, and even if you try telling them the truth, they just kind of look at you and scuff. Now, here's what's interesting though. Now, Thelma which is my wife's grandmother on her dad's side. She was a very strict Catholic, did meals on wheels and volunteered her time all the way up and through her 80s before she died. I mean, she was an active woman, another saintly woman. But she was very well aware, even back then, in like the 40s and 50s or whenever she lived, even back then, she was very well aware that Catholic priest openly, you know, it was known that they diddled kids. It was known that the higher, the hierarchy of the Catholic organization were a bunch of perverts. 
Now, I ask myself this question. Knowing that, is that turning a blind eye to it, or are you just trying to maybe hopefully pray to God that all that gets cleaned up? Because again, these are very good men and women, and they do good. It's just if I knew something like that, I couldn't, I couldn't in good conscience proceed forward with that organization. That's why I don't go to the Catholic Mass. In fact, I don't go to any church service unless it's out of the 501c3 model. But none of that exists in my area. One of the biggest reasons why I turn directly to my Bible and just ask God for straight discernment. And I told, like I told my priest right up front at my dinner table, because he asked me when I had him over one time. And don't get me wrong, I like my priest. My, my priest is a cool guy. Tells funny jokes. He's young like us. It's funny, he used to sell marijuana before he became a priest. <laughs> it's like, oh, my priest was a drug dealer. That's cool. <laughs> but all kidding aside, he asked me, he goes, why don't you come back to the church? I said, let me ask you this. Why should I come back to the church? I said, because I'll be honest with you, Father Chuck. I read my Bible every day in the morning. That's one of the first things I do on top of writing in my gratitude journal, thanking God for all my blessings. And I asked him. How is it that I became closer to Christ reading my Bible and spending an intimate, personal time, just him and I, while I'm reading and praying in my semi? I said, I feel closer to Christ and in unity with him doing that than I do sitting, listening to your homily in a mass filled with three, four hundred fake Christians. Why is that? And I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on you and say that your homilies are garbage. I actually like his homilies. He tells very good homilies during his mass. But I don't like the ritualistic nature of it. I don't like doing Catholic calisthenics. And if you're wondering what that is, that's the sit, kneel, sit, kneel, stand. Sit, kneel, stand, kneel, sit, kneel, sit, stand. Put your hands in the air like you just don't care. I mean, I, I call that Catholic calisthenics. And he didn't quite have an answer for me. He said, you know, Jason, he goes, I, I, that's a very good question. And he goes, you know, and this is exactly what he said to me. I was, I was surprised to hear his answer. He said, you know, because I asked a lot of tough questions of him that he didn't really have good answers for. You could tell he was giving me some shell type of answer to certain questions. Like, for example, Jesus said no one should call any man father except the father in heaven. And so I asked my, my priest, I said, why do I have to call you Father Chuck when Jesus clearly stated, you shall not call any man father except my father in heaven. But yet here I am calling you Father Chuck. Why? And of course, he had some BS answer for it. I can't remember what he said. Otherwise, I'd tell you. But I looked at him I'm like, come on, Father Chuck. I'm like, really? I'm like, I, I just go based on what the Bible says. And it doesn't matter what version you have. For the most part, most of the versions that are out there, NIV, you know, NASB, NABRE, whatever, for the most part, they all say about the same thing-ish, but mostly, right? And I know that's in every, part, every Bible. Do not call any man father except my father in heaven. 
I asked him some tough questions and he had no answers. I actually brought up the Treaty of Verona, the Treaty of 1213. He had no idea what the heck it was. But when I explained it to him about how the Pope at that time claimed laid laid claim to all the land and all the souls of the world, he was like, well, you know, I see why that is. He goes, because like here in this parish where, where I, you know, rule over, or not rule, he didn't say rule, but, you know, that I overlook, he said, I, I have responsibility over all the souls in this land jurisdiction between this river and this coordinates and this boundary and this boundary. I'm like, yeah, but what about the people that aren't Catholic? Well, everyone. doesn't matter if they're Catholic or not. I said, oh. I'm like, so I started putting the pieces together. And if you heard my 1% with him podcast earlier, I'd play it if I still had my sound bite up. But it talked about how the Pope met with an imam and, and, and the other, you know, basically met recently in September with two other major religions, the Jewish and Muslim religion, and basically basically coming together and saying, you know, we all, we all, we all recognize the same God. We're just going to all come together and, you know, coexist. And yes, even though coexisting is important because we all share the same world, there's only one true, there's only one true, I don't even want to call it religion. There's only one true way to father. And that's just through Jesus Christ. That's bottom line. Because religion is man-made. And in my opinion, just like politics, it's a dividing mechanism. And yeah, just like Rita was writing in the chat board, no one comes to Father except by Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I want to play this next soundbite. Like I said, I got three more soundbites. I'm not going to play the whole thing of them for the sake of time because... You all have lives. You don't want to just sit here for two hours listening to me. And besides, long podcasts suck. So let me get to this. And like I said, I will post the video, uh, this this uh, uh, Rumble video on Telegram. I'll put it in the show notes. And um, you can watch it for yourself if you choose to. It's very, very intriguing um, and insightful. Um, next soundbite. Listen to this. <laughs> As one examines the history of the Roman Catholic Church, the frequency of abominable practices and events seen leaves little doubt that she is not the fulfillment of God's salvation program on the earth. The level of wickedness produced by this false system negates such an idea. Once the evidence is assessed, it becomes obvious that she belongs to the kingdom of darkness. The following are some of the most evil atrocities committed by the Roman religion in history. Pope Urban VI reigned from A.D. 1378 to 1389. During his reign, an anti-pope rose up, stating he was the real pope, that is, Clement VII. Because Joanna, Queen of Nepal, sided with Clement VII, Pope Urban VI had her deposed and replaced by her cousin, Charles of Durazzo. However, Charles of Durazzo and Pope Urban VI later had a falling out, resulting in Charles, as well as some cardinals, plotting against him. As a result, Pope Urban VI had six of these cardinals brutally tortured and then murdered. In fact, it is stated that while these cardinals were being tortured, Pope Urban VI complained that their screams were not loud enough for his satisfaction. Let me pause that for a second. Now tell me, is that not sick and demonic and satanic and psychotic? Seriously. 
their screams were not loud enough to his satisfaction. This is a pope. Do you understand why the title of today's show is Vatican equals Satanic? This is no secret, ladies and gentlemen, but it needs to be more widely known. They're trying to create the one world religion. Benedict IX reigned as Pope twice in the 11th century. During his second reign, he actually sold his papal office to his godfather, Giovanni Gratiano, archpriest of the Venerable Church of St. John, who then became Pope Gregory VI. The papacy was sold to him for 1,500 pounds of gold. Alexander VI reigned as Pope from AD 1492 to 1503. Historians note that he amassed ridiculous amounts of wealth. He fathered seven children with different women, two of which were after he became Pope. Historian Williston Walker notes that he was, quote, a man of unbridled immorality. His great concern was to advance his bastard children, especially his daughter, Lucrezia Borgia, by advantageous marriages, and his unscrupulous and murderous son, Cesare Borgia, by aiding him to carve a principality out of the Papal States. Philip Schaff explains an unthinkable event near the end of Alexander VI's life, quote, Two years before Alexander VI's death, October 31, 1501, an orgy took place in the Vatican by Caesar's appointment, whose obscenity the worst of the imperial revels. Okay, I'm going to pause there for a second. Okay, so not only do we have murder and torture in the Vatican, now you got orgies taking place in the Vatican. And this was several hundred years ago. You don't think that still doesn't exist today or had? spent the night dancing with the servants and others present, first with their clothes on and then nude, the Pope and Lucretia looking on. The women, still naked and going on their hands and feet, picked up chestnuts thrown on the ground and then received prizes of cloaks, caps, and other articles. E.R. Chamberlain likewise confirms, quote, The Vatican has been the scene of scandalous enough behavior. Now the court became actively criminal, curiously, deliberately perverted. Fifty Roman harlots coupled with fifty palace servants for prizes presented by Alexander." Unquote. It's interesting to note that this is the Pope who canonized, that is, made saint, one of Rome's favorite saints, Anselm of Canterbury. John Twelfth reigned as Pope from AD 955 to 964. He was one of the most immoral popes of history and engaged in things one would expect a Satanist to engage in. Historian Philip Schaff notes, John Twelfth disgraced the Tierra for eight years. He was one of the most immoral and wicked popes, ranking with Benedict IX, John XXIII, and Alexander VI. He was charged by a Roman synod, no one contradicting, with almost every crime of which depraved human nature is capable, and deposed as a monster of iniquity. Schaff lists the following charges of the synod against John Twelfth appearing constantly with an armed sword, lance helmet, and breastplate. All right, we'll pause that there, because like I said, I'm not going to play the whole clips, because like I said, you can watch the video if you choose to. I just wanted to play certain clips from certain points that I felt that was worthy of ripping from the video. But like I said, the, the, and I like what actually Rita said, yeah, <laughs> that Pope 
will certainly hear plenty of loud screams in hell. Absolutely. See, yesterday when my wife posted in that Catholic group in on Facebook, asking a pure genuine question about what everybody's outlook would, was with respect to awakening. Okay, now if you didn't hear the question, let me see if I can find it. It was such a it was such a well word and see my wife is very good with words. She doesn't just write things and type things for the sake of typing them. She she really puts thought into a lot of this and she's just she's she's a wordsmith. She really is outstanding with words. Let me find this real quick. I'm just scrolling up. You have to hear her question and then I'm going to tell you if you weren't listening yesterday. So here's what she posted. And it was in a Catholic group, right? This is what she says. She said, with opening my eyes more about certain holidays in the faith, what does everyone do for the holidays? For example, we enjoy fall harvest things because fall is a blessing from God, and we will be celebrating All Saints Day instead of Halloween. Another example, Christmas. The Immaculate Conception is December 8th. Therefore, Jesus was born in September when you dig deep into Christmas traditions such as the tree, you find it has nothing to do with Christ or the faith and is actually satanic and a made-up pagan holiday. And my heart is torn because, especially with having a young child, I want to do the right thing by God, be in the world but not of the world, and spread the true truth of his message and life. Oh boy, I tell you what, you could have sworn she was the Satan himself in that chat group she got so attacked by everyone for asking such a question well it sounds like you're trying to be you know remember we can't be holier than the church i'm like what like what the hell does that even mean like i get that but that made no sense in reference to what the question being asked and she got so blindsided attacked she ended up now thankfully she's a strong woman she just shut the comments off. She didn't even respond. That's how strong she was. She didn't even respond because she knew it wasn't worth her time. Because she's not going to convince these people. It took a long time for us to get to where we were at with the awakening of all the crazy satanic evil that is going on, not just in our federal government and state government, state governments, but hell, even within our own county municipalities within our own churches locally. It just goes to show you that there's still so many people that are so, so deeply in a coma. They're deep in a coma sleep. Let's hear this other little clip here about Pope Francis being the false prophet. Francis in a morning mass says that Jesus is not a spirit. Pope Francis says Jesus is a person, a man. Jesus is a spirit. Jesus is not a spirit. Jesus is a person, a woman. Let me pause there for a second. Before I received this video from Ron, and even before I started awakening to everything, I've always said, with regards to Pope Francis, I've always said this particular Pope was the Antichrist. 
when he stepped into his papacy or whatever you want to call it, there is video footage of the first night that he took his papal office, if you will. There is outdoor video footage of lightning striking the top of the Vatican, the cross, almost darn near at midnight. And if you read the Bible, I believe there's a reference somewhere in there with Satan and lightning bolt, as well as the morning star. But there is references of Satan and, and symbolism with the lightning bolt and the morning star. I'll continue playing the soundbite. Pope Francis's words are very, um, they're very eloquent, they're very subtle. He, he is a very silver-tongued person. Um, however, there are moments in which it's extremely clear where he is a false prophet. He is trying to lead people astray. And I believe he's building up for what he's to, to do in the future. He has said that all people of all faiths you know, need to come together under one. When he says Jesus was not or is not part of and or a spirit, or has never been, uh, and he says that Jesus is just a person, just a man. He's lessening the glory due to our God, Jesus Christ, who came down and dwelt in flesh amongst us. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. His flesh contained God. Through his actions on the cross, he became our sacrifice. Okay, but as you see, the Pope wants to, it's what you call giving partial message and giving another partial message, saying one thing and saying yet another. It's twisting, it's twisting the words. Understand something, this twist is not an accident. They do this on purpose. So Jesus saith unto her, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers that worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth when the pope says jesus is not a spirit he's not worshiping god god here clearly is a spirit god is a spirit jesus christ is god jesus christ is the father they are one john 20 14 through 18 and when she had thus said she turned herself back and saw jesus standing and knew not it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? This is after Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sins and come back, res resurrected on the third day and appeared in another form. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him. He's talking about put Jesus' body and I will take him away. She doesn't recognize Jesus. Why? Because he is a spirit. He came in another form to her. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And then she recognized him. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples, that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken those things unto her. Now that was Mary Magdalene. Okay, how could she 
of anyone not recognize him unless he was of spirit in another form. I have a question for Catholic priests or the Catholic Church or people that's a member of the Catholic Church. My first question would be, why do you pray to Mary? I mean, Jesus clearly gives you a model prayer. But instead, you guys pray to Mary. You go, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So, why do you guys go against the commandment of God? Now, we have to stop and ask the question, what does a Catholic mean when they say they're praying to Mary? What a Catholic means is that they are asking Mary's intercession. In a similar way where you would go up to somebody and you would ask them, can you pray for me to obtain grace so that I could come into a deeper relationship with Christ? Maybe you're struggling with something or you just want to know God's will. In a... Now, let me pause here for a second. I'm going to keep playing this. I always used to say the same argument. We're just praying for intercessions because I used to be one that used to pray my rosary all the time. And it was a good time for me to have my quiet time. But then as I started realizing that, anyway, I, I just used to be the one that used to bring up that, that same argument when people would ask me that question. Why do you pray to Mary? Why do you pray to Mary? And this and that. And I would say, well, it's like asking a friend to pray for you. It's You're just asking for intercessions. But I like what's being said here in the remaining part of this record, this, this, this soundbite. Same way, we go to Mary and we say, Mary, can you pray for me and obtain grace that I would come to know your son, Jesus? The Roman Catholic teaching of praying to Mary and praying to saints is a fraudulent witchcraft because the living have no communion with those who are dead. You hear that? A form of witchcraft. And I honestly, when I heard that, that was the first time I ever heard that idea or that um, that, that that notion, right? Of When I watched this video, I was like, that makes sense because we do not have communion with anybody else except with Jesus Christ. We cannot pray to saints. That is witchcraft. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. You cannot pray to Mary. You cannot pray to the saints. They are dead. They are waiting for the resurrection. They have no communion with the living. Now, if there is anyone who wants to reveal Jesus, it's Mary. Why? Because Mary is the mother of Jesus. What do moms like to do? They like to show off their kids. Now, Mary's no show off. She's humble. Mary was the first person to receive Jesus, and she is the first person in Scripture to give him away. Oh, Felix culpa, yeah, so I don't care what that guy said at the end, the last voice that was saying, you know, the first person to receive Jesus and the last person to give him away. Like, I get it. Okay. She played a very important role in biblical times during, you know, that time of, well, back then, right? She accepted the will of God. Okay, cool. You accepted the will of God. You became, you were a virgin. You became pregnant. Okay. 
look, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that's impossible because all things are possible through God. But, but they're all passed away and deceased. I am not going to pray to anybody except God and Jesus Christ, which basically are one and the same. God, you got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the unit. It's the Trinity, right? The triune, the triune God. And it's the Trinity, you know, the God, Father, and Son, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all one. Not Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Mary, and patron Saint Anthony. No. That's not how that works. We don't have communion with Mary or St. Joseph. We don't have communion with whatever, St. Saint Catherine or whatever. We don't have communion with any of these people. And whoever said that in this little video, that trying to talk to them and pray to them is a form of witchcraftery, I could not agree more because it's like you're trying to summons the spirit of the dead to help you in this world. Absolutely not. It doesn't matter if they were good or bad on this world. It doesn't matter if they were the mother of Jesus. We go directly to Jesus himself, God the Father himself, not Mary, not Joseph, not the camel that rode Jesus in or whatever, the donkey. We go through Jesus. Last soundbite. Originally, the word Protestant was a reference to those who protested the claims made by the Roman Church. Even in the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon said, For truth's sake, our Protestantism must protest perpetually, no peace with Rome. But in times past, such teachings from the Albigenses, the Waldenses, and to a great extent, those of Wycliffe and the Lollards were suppressed and nearly stamped out by the Crusades and Inquisitions. Yet with movable type and the printing of books and Bibles faster than the popes could burn them, the teachings of the reformers spread like a fire across Europe. But some claim that it was not simply the teaching of salvation by grace that brought the reform, but the recognition of the papal system as the fulfillment of God's greatest warnings to the church as set forth in the prophecies of the Bible. Was it this teaching that created such determination in men like Tyndale, Luther, and others? Protestant minister Dr. Ian Paisley writes, it has been claimed that when Luther recognized the papacy as antichrist, it was only then that the Reformation gained momentum. Yet Luther himself acknowledged that what he was teaching did not begin with him, but had been handed down from centuries earlier. He wrote, We are not the first to declare the papacy to be the kingdom of Antichrist, since for many years before us, so many and such great men, whose number is large and whose memory is eternal, have undertaken to express the same thing so clearly and plainly. Jesus said, And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Yet the popes took to themselves the name Holy Father, 
along with all claims of authority that might be assumed by such a title. Pope Innocent III, who fathered the Inquisition, said, The Pope holdeth place on earth not simply of a man, but of the true God. Meanwhile, Pope Nicholas said of himself, I am in all and above all, so that God himself and I, the Vicar of God, hath both one consistory, and I am able to do almost all that God can do. I then, being above all, seem by this reason to be above all gods. Nicholas even claimed that the popes had the power to change the gospel itself, saying, Wherefore, no marvel, if it be in my power. See, I'm going to pause there for a second because I'm pretty certain. Let me grab my Bible here for a quick second before I play the rest of that. Now, I'm pretty certain in the very, very, very last part in Revelation. Hold on. Bear with me, ladies and gentlemen. See, what did we just hear there? That, that the Pope had the authority to change the Bible, right? We just heard that. Let me read Revelation chapter 22, starting with verse 18. <clears throat> I think this is 18. I warn everyone who hears the prophetic words in this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words in this prophetic book, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city described in this book. The one who gives this testimony says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Now. It says right here in the Holy Book, and what I just read was the New American Bible. That's my favorite Bible, by the way, but I read both NASB and NABRE, but both say the same thing. You shall not take away or add to this book, but yet somehow the Pope has a self-proclaimed authority to change the Bible. Get the hell out of here. Power to dispense with all things, yea, with the precepts of Christ. But in the Bible, Jesus says, Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, and no man openeth. The Apostle Paul warned that if any man or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, let him be accursed. Yet despite these biblical warnings, the popes repeatedly claimed they were equal to and above God, and were even called by Catholics, our Lord God, the Pope. The Lateran Council, while addressing Pope Julius II, said to him, Take care that we lose not that salvation, that life and breath which thou hast given us. For thou art shepherd, thou art physician, Thou art governor, thou art husbandman, thou finally art another god on earth. In the 19th century, Cardinal Giuseppe Sarto, who would later become Pope Pius X, declared, The Pope is not simply the representative of Jesus Christ. On the contrary, 
He is Jesus Christ himself under the veil of the flesh. Does the Pope speak? It is Jesus Christ who is speaking. Hence, when anyone speaks of the Pope, it is not necessary to examine, but to obey. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Yet Pope Pius IX blasphemously declared, I alone am the successor of the apostles, the vicar of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The popes have not only made claims to be God, but have insisted that salvation itself depends directly upon obedience to them. No. Pope Boniface VIII said, We declare, say, define, and pronounce that it is absolutely necessary for the salvation of every human creature to be subject to the Roman Pontiff. No, absolutely not. Pope Clement VI said, No man outside obedience to the Pope of Rome can ultimately be saved. All who have raised themselves against the faith of the Roman Church and died in final impenitence have been damned and gone down to hell. Can you see why I say the Vatican equals satanic? They, I believe, they are the satanic order trying to rein in the new one world religion. Not happening. And to anybody who may be listening, because there's a lot of people listening around the world that I see downloads. I look at my analytics from Rome, actually from Italy, um, everywhere in Europe. Uh, it's probably a fat chance, but if there's a representative or anyone that's listening that's from the Vatican, go to hell. Even in modern times, Pope John the 23rd in 1958 declared, Into this fold of Jesus Christ, no man may enter unless he be led by the sovereign pontiff, and only if they be united to him can men be saved. In 1984, Pope John Paul II was quoted as saying, Don't go to God for forgiveness of sins. Come to me. The quote was based on a Los Angeles Times article which reported, rebutting a belief widely shared by Protestants and a growing number of Roman Catholics, Pope John Paul II dismissed the widespread idea that one can obtain forgiveness directly from God. Furthermore, according to traditional Catholicism, obedience to the papacy is said to be required, no matter how dreadful the Pope might be. Catherine, <laughs> No, 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 no. Obedience to the papacy is required no matter how dreadful the Pope may be? Nah. Catherine of Siena, one of the patron saints of Italy, whose mummified head is still preserved in Rome today, said... Even if the Pope were Satan incarnate, we ought not to raise up our heads against him. But wow. Tell me you guys heard that. Tell me you heard that. You heard that right. Even if the Pope was Satan himself. <laughs> it just, they, 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 
it's it, this is all legitimately documented. This is all legitimately documented, folks. This is not made up out of thin air. You think they're going to teach you this in Sunday school or in men's Bible study on Wednesday nights? You think that your women's prayer group is going to talk about this on Sunday while the, you know the husbands are watching football? You really think that? Come on. Calmly lie down to rest in his bosom. He who rebels against our Father is condemned to death. For that which we do to him, we do to Christ. We honor Christ if we honor the Pope. No. Such demands for blind obedience were... Let me just be clear. We honor Christ when we seek the heart of Christ and invite Christ in our heart. Let me just be very, very clear. And you recognize him as the living, true God. Okay? You don't recognize the Pope by recognizing, you don't recognize Christ by recognizing the Pope as the God on earth. No, absolutely not. Confirmed by the Popes themselves, but confronted by the reformers. By men like Martin Luther, who said, The Pope, possessed by demons, defends his tyranny with the canon, See Papa, or Yes Father. This canon states clearly, if the Pope should lead the whole world into the control of hell, he is nevertheless not to be contradicted. It's a terrible thing that on account of the authority of this man, we must lose our souls, which Christ redeemed with his precious blood. Because of this evidence, Luther declared, I believe the Pope is the masked and incarnate devil because he is the Antichrist. It is important to understand that this belief was not just confined to Luther, but was held by all the reformers from John Wycliffe in the 14th century to Charles Spurgeon. Let me address something, because that's a very good question that Rita brought up. She says, where are these statements? Do the Catholic followers hear these words? Well, let me ask you something, um, Rita, because that's a, first off, that's an outstanding question. Now, I'm going to ask a different question. And, and maybe this will help you with your answer. What, where has all the proof and the, you know, different things that these elitists and people in D.C. and people in Hollywood with their child sacrificing and child trafficking that's actually been taking place right underneath their noses, but people were just too, you know, they didn't want to, they didn't want to accept it. Uh, even better yet, we're in the assembly, right? We're we're part of the National Assembly. We've never heard the history, for example, of the U.S. civil peace flag. You don't see that in history books. We don't hear of what the Act of 1871 was in the history books in high school or in college, for that matter. You don't hear these things. So I say all of that or the 13th Amendment, the original organic 13th Amendment. So I, 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 I beg to ask the same question regarding that information. 
We never, a lot of people don't know that information. Why? Because it's been suppressed and hidden. It's recorded, but you think the media or biblical scholars or historians are really going to come out in that if they're being paid by a higher power, by a more powerful satanic order? Absolutely not. So where are these statements and do Catholic followers hear these words? The only Catholic followers that are hearing these words are whoever that might be stumbling upon this podcast or whoever stumbled upon that video in Rumble. Outside of that, they're not see, they're not hearing this. They're not hearing it. In the late 19th century, Spurgeon said, it is the bounden duty of every Christian to pray against Antichrist. And as to what Antichrist is, no sane man ought to raise a question. If it be not the popery in the Church of Rome, there is nothing in the world that can be called by that name. The Westminster Confession of Faith, along with the Savoy Confession, the Old Baptist Confession, and the Methodist views of John Wesley, all included the declaration that the Pope is that Antichrist, that man of sin and son of perdition, that exalteth himself in the church. This was also the belief of the men who translated the King James Bible. In their opening dedication, they commended the king for writing in defense of the truth, which hath given such a blow unto that man of sin as will not be healed. The view of the Antichrist, not as a single man, but of many men in a single office, was based in part on the teaching of John Wycliffe. In the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples asked Jesus, What shall be the sign of thy coming? and of the end of the world. Jesus said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Think about it. Many will come in my name and deceive you and, and say that I am Christ. That's the multiple popes. Those are the multiple popes. That makes perfect sense. Wycliffe believed that the many who say, I am Christ, are in fact the popes. The pope's title, Vicarius Christi, literally means another Christ. Wycliffe concluded that Antichrist is thus a monstrous composite. In further explaining the pope's title, author Dave Hunt writes, the Latin equivalent of the Greek ante is vicarius, from which comes vicar. Thus, vicar of Christ literally means antichrist. But the view of the papacy as antichrist is not widely held by Protestants today. Still, there are those who continue to uphold the reformers' original beliefs. Perhaps it has something to do with this official Vatican portrait of the current Pope. It is called The Truth, The Way, and The Life, Portrait of His Holiness, Pope Benedict XVI. 
But can this really mean that in the modern world there are some who still believe the Pope to be equal to Christ and God? All right, we're going to pause there because this is, we're already past an hour and I did not want to really hit an hour, but we're here anyways. I did want to allow most of that to play out, but like I said, I am going to be, um, I am going to be posting this link to the video. It's, it's, uh, let me see here. It's about, hmm. It's, it's about an hour and 10 minutes, hour and 15 minute video. So I'm going to post the, the link on Rumble to my, my show notes. Um, I will post it on Telegram. And um, yeah, so it just, if you get, if you're interested in hearing the whole thing, definitely watch it. It's worth the watch. It's the visuals are just as powerful as the audio. Um, and it really, really gets you thinking. It gets you thinking. And it's it just, there's so many people, there's so many people that, that are getting, there are so many people that are getting deceived at the end of the day. And I just, you know, enough is enough. And that's why I ask these questions. So anyway, that's pretty much much all I have for you today. Like I said, I'm gonna just wrap it up here. Um, we're gonna play the um, the warrior's prayer. So let me find that. Heavenly Father, your warrior prepares for battle. Today I claim victory over Satan by putting on the whole armor of God. I put on the girdle of truth, may I stand firm in the truth of your word, so I will not be a victim of Satan's lies. I put on the breastplate of righteousness, may it guard my heart from evil so I will remain pure and holy, protected under the blood of Jesus Christ. I put on the shoes of peace, may I stand firm in the good news of the gospel, so your peace will shine through me and be a light to all I encounter. I take the shield of faith. May I be ready for Satan's fiery darts of doubt, denial, deceit, so I will not be vulnerable to the spiritual defeat. I put on the helmet of salvation. May I keep my mind focused on you, so Satan will not have a stronghold on my thoughts. I take the sword of spirit. May the two-edged sword of your word be ready in my hands, so I can expose the tempting words of Satan. By faith, your warrior has put on the whole armor of God. I am prepared to live this day in spiritual victory. Amen. Amen, indeed. Amen, indeed. I love that prayer. It's one of my favorite. And before I let you go, Rita actually did bring up something that I do want to point out as well, because these are also very good proofs. If you want to just, you can even look this up on even Google, okay? One of their meeting rooms in the Vatican is the shape of a serpent. There's no mistake in it. When you look at it head on from where the head seat is for the Pope, there's no mistaking it to the scales, to where the eyes are, to the shape. It's the head of a cobra. And what is the symbol of Satan? It's a snake. Here's something else for you. Maybe you heard this already once before. I'm pretty sure somebody talked about it in some podcast. Now, I can't remember what room it is. I don't know if it's the official, like, I don't know if it's the the room where mass takes place or if it's like another meeting room. 
But there's this one area in the Vatican that has this really crazy wooden stick type looking structure. It's very interesting looking. Now, just looking at it by itself is creepy. Now, I'm a, I do a lot of, you know, I, I can do a lot of things with images. Now, if you take an image of this stick-like, log-like sculpture, I guess we'll call it, if you cut that image in half and you eliminate the right side of it and take the left half of the image, duplicate that image and then mirror it. So basically you're making a full image again. But basically what you're doing is you're taking the left side and you're mirroring it and putting it, splicing it back together again. You look at that closely. You got the head of Baphomet in that. I'm not even kidding. You have the head of Baphomet in that sculpture. I wish I was making this up. Truly, I wish I was making that up. I'm not. I did it. Some. I heard it. I said, no way. I got to try this. I did it. I looked at it. I was like, whoa. Whoa. It's scary. Now, somebody here in the chat, uh, someone in my state actually here, was asking if I can read Revelation 18.4. I will do that before we hang this up. Let me look this up real quick. Revelation 18.4. I'll I'll let you do dealer's choice. Do you want NIV, ESV, King James Version, NASB, NLT? What what would you like? And I'll read it. I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll just read a couple of them here. Let's see here. New King James. All right, we'll do New King James and MSG. Let me see. I don't know if this one has MSG. Let me see here. MSG. Uh, so I'm on BibleRef.com. They don't have MSG. They got NIV, ESV, KJV, NAS, NASB, NLT, and CSB. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll do the KJV, the King James first. So this one says, and I heard. Now, this is Revelation 18.4, by the way. 18.4, Revelation 18.4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Now that's the King James Version. Um, I'll read real quick. Um, Compare both to see. Let's see. So I'll read. Uh, I'll just do NASB. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive any of her plagues. Let's go to ESV. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Okay, very similar. Uh, And then we'll do an NIV. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's uh that's interesting. Wow, that is very very interesting. Good um good good request on that zero in Michigan. I appreciate that. 
Wow, that's uh, yeah, that's insane. Well, it's a scary world, but you know what? You know what makes it not scary? This is the good news. You know what doesn't make the world scary? Us, people like us, the remnant, God's people, Jesus Christ, God, everything good. Like Scott on Bards FM, and, and you'll hear me refer to him quite a bit. Look, I've been critical on some of the things he has said because I believe some things that he has said in certain aspects has been irresponsible and, and almost kind of fear mongerish. But then I've also been very, um, very, uh, I've appraised a lot of the stuff that he's also come out and said, because the guy speaks truth. I really appreciate his delivery and his message. What does he always say in his show? Expand king, occupy the land and expand the kingdom. We are what's good in this world. This is why I say we need to invite Christ daily in our heart. Daily. It's not just a one-up thing. You have to invite Jesus every day in your heart and seek the heart of Christ. All right? Fear not. Fear not, ladies and gentlemen. It'll be all right. We will triumph. We just have to participate as part of God's soldiers here on earth. We need to lead more of the sleepers to Christ. All right. All right. I'll be back here tomorrow for a 1% with him. It'll be earlier in the afternoon because we're celebrating my father-in-law's birthday tomorrow when I get off of work. So I'll be here about 3.30-ish. And so we'll do a 1% with him. And uh, who knows, if I'm feeling froggy, I might do another podcast tomorrow evening. I don't know. We'll see. No promises. So um, anyways, until then or the next time, I hope wherever you're at in the world, I hope you have a great day or night, wherever you're at in the world. And I hope you all have a blessed, blessed day. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. By decree of Lord Cutler Beckett, duly appointed representative of His Majesty the King. By decree, according to martial law, the following statutes are temporarily amended. Right to assembly, suspended. Right to habeas corpus, suspended. Right to legal counsel, suspended. Right to verdict by a jury of peers, suspended. By decree, all persons found guilty of piracy, or aiding a person convicted of piracy, or associating with a person convicted of piracy, shall be sentenced to hang by the neck until dead. Joining us here at His Heart Line. 
And remember, as it states in Joshua 1.9, I command you, be strong and steadfast. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We are warriors for Christ, ladies and gentlemen, and that enemy has crossed that line for the last time, and we will push the enemy back on their side. It's time to get our nation back. It's time to return to God. We need to repent of our sins. If we plan on moving forward as a nation under God, we need to ask for his forgiveness. And each and every day, remember, you need to ask and invite Jesus Christ in your heart each and every day. Thank you for joining us here at His Heartline, and please come back. Share this podcast far and wide, and don't forget to share the website, www.hisheartline.com. We'll see you next time. And you know what? Real quick, before we also end the show, Rita did ask if we were going to be doing a show on Friday. Um, Fridays are typically a Brandenburg block hour. She will not be on this Friday, just as she has not been doing her uh, Brandenburg News Network, um, because she is touring all through the uh, the Upper Peninsula for her campaign since we're winding down here to the final mile for the uh, midterms. So she will not be on, and I will not be on hers this Friday. And next Friday, unfortunately, I got to work. I don't know. I might cancel that day. I'm not sure because it's a day that um, it's kind of an optional day. Uh, not quite sure yet. But if anything, I might try to see if I could sneak her on on maybe Thursday, possibly. Um, you know, if not Friday uh, before, you know, we get to the midterms. But yeah, so this Friday, no Brandenburg block hour. So I did want to let you all know on that. Okay. That is it. Have a great day or night, wherever you're at in the world. God bless.